what's new on the legislative and regulatory front, and what can we expect to see from Congress as we head toward the midterms? Our regular contributor, Jessica Waltman, will answer those questions and more on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of the Shift Shapers podcast is brought to you by Captivated Health, a captive insurance arrangement designed specifically for educational institutions. If you have clients in that vertical, you know the healthcare deck has been stacked against them. Today, Captivated Health offers the stability, control, and savings they've been waiting for. For more information, go to www.captivatedhealth.com or click on the company logo on the Shift Shapers website. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking with Jessica Waltman. Jessica is a principal at Forward Health Consulting, and as those of you who are regular listeners know, Jessica joins us pretty much quarterly to talk about all things legislative and regulatory. And as you also all know, there's tons of stuff to talk about every time we get together. So with that, welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me back again, David. It's been a little while, but I always enjoy being on Shift Shapers. It is the, the last star turn that you did with Mr. Mordo was very well received and a lot of fun to do as well. So, But we're pleased to have you back here solo. So here's the a good place to start is, is Congress actually going to ever do anything or, or I won't say ever, maybe between now and the end of the year? Well, you know, sometimes on Shift Shapers, I have taken a kind of cynical view on the congressional work schedule. And I will say that it is an election year and that one third of the Senate and then the whole House is up for re-election in November of 2018. And really the People's House does have a responsibility to be back in the district, engaging with its electorate. And that's what they're mostly going to be doing between now and the end of the year. I think they have about 70 legislative days scheduled between now and the election. And, you know, that's far less than half of the number of actual days between now and the end of the, till the election. So, you know, they're, they're working a part-time schedule. And when you work a part-time schedule, you don't get as much done, um, and particularly when you are standing for re-election and you might not want to take too many tough votes. So they've got some stuff on their schedule. They will have to reauthorize the government again in September. But other than that, they're probably not likely to take too much action that has anything to do with health care. The only thing that they might consider would be market stabilization efforts that did not make it into their big spending bill that they passed in March. But that seems increasingly unlikely, you know, given what they all have on their plate. Um, there's a lot of other issues that they need to address, cabinet appointments, other things. So that's probably going to take up most of their time. So just because there's not much, if anything, happening legislatively, that doesn't mean the regulatory side of what we deal with has slowed down, does it? No, it does not. So there's always something fun going on in the world of health policy. And when Congress, you know, kind of lets us down on the policy front, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are usually willing to oblige. And if they, if they aren't, their friends at the IRS and the Department of Labor usually are willing to help them out. So we've had quite an influx of activity on the regulatory front in, in April and, and early, at the end of March. 
And then um, we're likely to see some more coming up this summer on association health plans and short-term rules. But we had um, some action on Medicare and Medicare Advantage plans. And then also CMS recently issued about probably close to 750 pages of guidance that um, impacts both, you know, individual, small group, and um, most fully insured plans are affected by that guidance. So have you had a chance to, I know some of it just came out over the weekend, we're recording this on the 20th of April. Have you had a chance to kind of unpack any of the stuff relative to the Advantage plans or anything else in that, that pile of guidance that's come out? Yes. So we'll start with Medicare. Um, first of all, in April, as we may know, if you work in that market or you're of that age, everyone's getting new Medicare cards. So that can be a good impetus for brokers to kind of think about Medicare and, and talk to their client, clients about it, both on the employer side and then also um, in the you know individual Medicare clients, if you if you work in that space, because you know everybody really needs to think about Medicare. So many Medicare eligible individuals are still on employer plans and or eligible for employer plans. So one of the big changes is that medic is kind of a defin- definitional change to primary care. And the Medicare Advantage plans are going to have the opportunity to expand that definition of primary care and provide some more ancillary services, some more supportive services that are just kind of more holistic to help seniors get along in their life and, you know, maybe like ride sharing assistance or, you know, transportation assistance to help people get to doctor's visits, that type of thing. So it's kind of a more holistic look at things that, you know, healthy eating, having the appropriate transportation, things like that, having a better access to the community benefits people's overall health. And since Medicare Advantage plans are working on their plan designs and filings for 2019, we might see some differences in what's available in that market space. They've also made some significant changes to Medicaid, Medicare to help them address opioids and prescription drug abuse, which I think is necessary and just a good thing because unfortunately that's such a big problem in our country. And then really where we have the most significant changes are the CMS guidance that came out on April 9th. So there's a bunch of stuff that came out. And the biggest one is called the Notice of Benefit and Payment Parameters. How's that for boring, right? And it kind of is a comprehensive rule that covers individual and group market topics for the 2019 plan year. They also did some new guidance for insurers, new individual mandate, hardship exemption guidance, new MLR flexibility for the states. A whole bunch of stuff is in there. So what's happening on the short-term and AHP front? Are there some new rules in those areas as well? Yes. Well, we have new proposals and all of this stuff is supposed to increase market competition. So, you know, from the the most recent CMS guidance has some really practical things in it. Like it, you know, sets the maximum out-of-pocket limits for 2019 and, you know, the individual mandate hardship thresholds. It also, to increase market competition, has extended the transitional policy for grandmother plans. About three quarters of the states still let you, if the insurers want to do it and the state allows it, about three quarters of the states still allow you to renew 
pre-ACA small group policies. And those are going to be continued so they can stay in force through 2019. And then they also are going to try and make it easier for states to seek individual market medical loss ratio waivers. So all of that was to improve the stability of the individual and small group markets. But then they've also proposed two new regulations on association health plans and then short-term policies. So the short-term policies, really what it would do would restore the definition of a short-term plan on the federal level back to what it was pre-2016. After HIPAA, the federal government you know, kind of defined accepted benefits and short-term policies. And the definition of a short-term policy, which is basically a non-HIPAA compliant accepted benefit policy that only lasted 12 months or less, that was in place on the federal level for you know about 20 years. You know, states could adjust that definition in some states because of their you know, market laws, it was really hard to sell accepted benefit policies like short-term policies too. But most states had them and they were in place to fill coverage gaps. And, you know, people bought them because they couldn't afford COBRA or they just had, you know, were going on a trip or maybe they were on a leave of absence and they just wanted something to fill in a gap. In most places, it really did not take the place of comprehensive coverage and the, the benefits are not comprehensive. And that went along for 20 years. In 2016, the Obama administration was concerned that with kind of a decline in the individual market competition, that people would be hopping onto these plans and avoiding individual market coverage. So they limited those policies to just three months in duration, but you could renew them. The Trump administration has proposed a rule to revert that definition back to 12 months. So you could have year-long short-term policies again, and that would come with a consumer warning. The one thing that's different, though, is now that it's 2018, we don't have the individual mark, um, individual mandate, you know, coming up, you know, that's going to fade out in a year or so. You know, the concern is that the individual market is is different than it used to be. So will there be a further incentive for healthy people to leave the individual market and just use these short-term policies as a, as a full-term coverage option. And that it won't just be people who are trying to fill a gap anymore. That it'll be people that want to get an extended coverage option, but just for cheaper. And since that coverage isn't comprehensive, there's some concern about, you know, what will those people do if they're really in a true medical situation? Usually it doesn't really cover extensive illnesses, the hospitalization will not be the same. I mean, the the benefits are just limited. That is out there right now. They've just are accepting comments on that rule. And then they'll look to finalize it over the summer. They've also made a proposal to allow for the expansion of association health plans that would mostly affect the small group market and then also for sole proprietors. So they would extend that down to sole proprietors And they would make it much easier to form an association instead of having to have kind of a a legitimate employment related tie like you do now. And you you couldn't just form an association for the purposes of buying health insurance. Now it would significantly relax that standard so that people could join an association and form an association really only for the purchase of buying health insurance. And they would just have to have commonality either in a, in a geographic area, which could 
be a metropolitan area like Philadelphia that kind of bridges two or three states or Washington, D.C. that bridges multiple states, or it could be just a common interest. So you could just have a association of carpenters that operates nationwide and is offering health insurance to anyone that kind of falls into a definition of carpenter or whatever you wanted it to be. So that rule is also pending and we'll see how those shake out and are finalized. But the idea is to give people more affordable coverage options in the absence of comprehensive legislation to change up the ACA. And now a word from our sponsor. Captivated Health is a single source solution for your clients and prospects who are in the education vertical. The founders of Captivated Health have nearly 20 years' experience working with educational institutions, and over that time, they've developed a keen understanding of the unique problems these clients experience. Frustrated by a lack of control, the unpredictability of ever-increasing healthcare costs, and the pressures and regulations of the Affordable Care Act, these groups have been adrift in the fully insured commercial marketplace until now. Captivated Health has built a program that solves those problems, and it does so with virtually no disruption to faculty and staff while saving clients millions of dollars. We wanted you to be among the first to know that Captivated Health is building a national distribution partner network so you can bring this cutting-edge solution to the educational clients you advise. To learn more about the Captivated Health solution, go to their website at www.captivatedhealth.com or click on their logo on the Shift Shapers website. And now, back to our interview. So at the risk of sounding like Alex Trebek, states that start with I for 200, what's going on in Iowa and Idaho? (laughs) So, you know, when Congress failed to make any changes to the ACA, you know, we do have some federal goals trying to make some changes that would would shake up the marketplace, but they have to, you know, kind of operate under the existing law framework. Some of the states said, okay, this is just not sufficient. We've got to do something. You know, about half of U.S. counties last year only had one insurer. The costs are pretty high, particularly if you don't qualify for an individual market subsidy. Some of the rural areas like Idaho, Iowa, really have suffered and and prices are high. And coverage options are scarce. So the insurance commissioners and the governors in those areas have said, okay, what could we do under existing parameters? And um, while they're trying different things, the Idaho insurance commissioner said, well, I'll just approve policies that don't meet the ACA standards. And that was struck down. And so now they're looking at, well, can we change the definition of what's health insurance? And then we can approve things that aren't really health insurance, but still provide health-related coverage. And then in Iowa, they're looking at, and some other states are looking at this too, looking at existing policies that were operated kind of under that association sphere, either through a farm bureau or other type of association plans to see if they can kind of broaden what's available out there to individual, small group, and sole proprietor consumers. And these these efforts are, you know, not necessarily, they're kind of skirting the bounds and kind of getting into gray areas between state and federal laws. But I think it's important to think about why these governors and insurance commissioners and the Trump administration and other people are thinking about doing this. They're doing it because we're locked into the ACA framework, which is pretty rigid. And 
there's, you know, there's some problems in the individual market, particularly and problems for small groups, very small groups to find something affordable and flexible and to find something that attracts more than, you know, one carrier to sell it in a county. And so they're trying to get creative to come up with coverage options for, for people in those areas. The problem is they're not necessarily comprehensive. They're not necessarily regulated in the same standard in which consumers protect, you know, are expecting and need, might need the protection. But on the other hand, there's a lack of affordable stuff for people to buy in a lot of places. So they're just trying to fill in those gaps. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of fixes out there. It does sound for all the world as though there's a bunch of stuff that's just kind of muddying up the waters. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of people spent a very long time talking about repealing the ACA but they didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what would be reasonable modifications and solutions. And we have the ACA framework that is in place. And unless Congress can work together and come up with reasonable changes to it, they have to keep that framework in place and work around it. And so what they've done or attempting to do is come up with a lot of little hodgepodge solutions or options for people. And none of them take the place of a comprehensive fix. So in the four or five minutes we've got left, what does this look like? I mean, what, what are consumers thinking, average Americans thinking, sitting outside watching this? And, and what do you believe the advisor community ought to be thinking about and doing while this, is, this kind of inaction is happening? Well, first of all, I want to... S- put out there that I don't think either it's hard sometimes for me to think. And I think a lot of insurance agents kind of fall in this realm too. It's kind of sometimes hard for us to put into place, put ourselves in the mindset of a typical consumer. You might think you can, but we've got all this background knowledge out there. We know all this inside baseball. But when I really drill down or I ask my friends, my neighbors, you know, people that don't spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about health insurance markets and how they work and why this is, I realized that they are just kind of frustrated and they just see a dearth of options. And they also see their Congress, their administration, not really meeting their, their needs. And they see this, you know, they're, they're probably pretty disappointed. They see this inactivity. And I think that that was reflected in the 2016 elections. And I'm sure it may reflect in a swing back a different direction in the 2018 election. So I think as a typical American, from what I'm hearing, is that they're pretty disheartened and they are feel like neither side has represented them very well. And and that may be true. There are, these are kind of wild stats to provide people what they need. They need something that is lower cost they need something that has more competition. They need something that's more flexible. They need this in the group market and they need this in the individual market. And we don't have that right now. So I think they're pretty disappointed and they're looking to people like us for help. So what should advisors be thinking about while this is all going on in the background? I mean, are there are there opportunities practice-wide or just for knowledge or what should advisors be, be doing? That's a great question. On one hand, I think that an advisor really needs to acknowledge that, and, and and it's probably smacking them right in the face, that their consumers, either on an individual level or on a group level, are really struggling with the lack of options and might be angry and disappointed. But on the other hand, it's a good opportunity for advisors to say, okay, 
you know what, let's acknowledge that this isn't an ideal situation and let's see what we can do to improve your plan right now. Particularly on the group side, I think that there are a lot of market-based, you know, market-based changes that an advisor can be looking into and can and recommend. On the individual side, you may be a little bit more limited, but in the group side, while Congress isn't really doing anything and the federal government and state regulators maybe, you know, kind of have their hand tied, there's a lot of innovation being going on in the market itself. So you're going to see different things that you can put in place with group plans. I mean, as we already have with database solutions, with, you know, different things you might be able to do with pricing, different transparency tools, you know, I think it's time for advisors to focus on market-based solutions and not necessarily be looking for a legislative or regulatory fix to the problems. So I think it's a good time for advisors to get creative, to look at different changes, to talk to employers about you know benefit communications, what employees want, what the employer really wants. You know, is it all just about saving money? Or is it about meeting a different need? Looking and seeing where their gaps are, and is there anything that you can do about it? And maybe not just focusing on reducing costs, but being a little bit more holistic and looking and seeing what employees want, what employers want to provide to them, and then looking to the market for more creative solutions. Um, you know, it's a great time to go to to different conferences, hear different speakers, look into different products, and see if there's different benefit designs or other things that they can put into place that might be able to fill those gaps. And instead of looking for a legislative or public policy fix, look to the market for a solution to help your clients. Always interesting insights. I look forward to our next visit when maybe we'll talk about the midterms and how those are shaping up and what changes in Congress might mean for Americans and for those of us who help to advise them with their benefit plans. Jessica Waltman, Principal at Forward Health Consulting. As always, Jess, thanks for your invaluable insight. Thank you, David. The Shift Shapers Podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.